Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter, and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Hello and welcome to Fringe Legal. My guest today is Parul Patel, a consultant who has advised some of the world's most influential brands like Nike, Speedo, Manchester United and FC Barcelona. She's also a non-executive director at Welsh Triathlon and representative on the British Triathlon Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Strategic Committee. Her experience through these roles and a mix of uncommon projects, as well as being inspired by the works of people like Tony Villani, inventor of the treadmill and award-winning athletic performance coach to the NFL stars, sparked a fascination with performance optimization. She's someone for whom think different, do different is a way of life. For Parle, it wasn't always comfortable not fitting in and going through frequent changes, but it's also what powers her to imagine and realize what isn't yet seen. Parle is the founder of Fuel and Move Consulting and now helps partners of law firms and general counsel develop their teams and lawyers for performance optimization, a topic that will form the centerpiece of a discussion on this episode. So Parle, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. There's a mention of performance optimization throughout your bio and your career in the past. I think that's probably a good place as any to start. And of course, the legal profession is one where performance is monitored closely, though maybe not in the best way sometimes. And I'm not sure how often it's optimized. Give me a bit more of uh, a background into how you think about performance optimization and then maybe how that relates to the legal profession. Sure. Maybe a good place to start is if we just define what performance optimization Mm -hmm. is. And when we talk about performance optimization, what I'm really referring to is unlocking the power of connected individuality or connected uniqueness, a space where we're moving, shifting away from the idea of competing interests and into leveraging the the best that everyone's got to bring. So performance optimization means that you're delivering at a high level of performance, but you're not, it's not coming at the expense of exhaustion, burnout, a lot of these things that we see quite prevalent within the legal sector. And what one of the things that you touched on there, and we'll certainly go into, I think, in a bit more detail, is how do you do that as part of a team, right? Because performance optimization doesn't have to be me versus everyone scenario should be how do I optimize the entire process and not just that means ensuring that you're bringing your teams along I think that's probably a deeper topic so we'll dig into that in a second and of course the end result hopefully is making sure there is a balance and 
I know you have a take on work-life balance. So maybe let's go there because, of course, that's part of the reason for optimizing is, of course, you want to deliver the best quality with the least effort, but also you want to make sure there's space uh, available for you to think, for you to develop ideas and just be present. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't really talk about work-life balance because that already starts with the premise that there's a competing interest between your work and life. What I'm focused on is two birds with one stone, if you like, or in this case, three birds with one stone. So I look at the kind of the the stakeholder triangle that we have in the legal sector between the, the lawyer who's doing the work, the employer and the client and finding the overlap between the three. So as you said, it's when you're in working in teams, it's it's not about can I be better than the next person in my team, but looking at what the individual giftedness is of yourself and bringing that to the table and really leveraging and working on that within the context that you find yourself. Yeah, the best way I can refer to it is it's not about competing with each other, but it's about bringing out the best in each other. I have a, an analogy which goes with this and it goes, it's, I don't know what it's like in the States, but one of the key, I think one of the top hobbies, COVID hobbies that people picked up here in the UK at least was baking cakes right. and, and stuff. And so I've got a baking <laughs> analogy. So if we look at when we bake a cake, for instance, you don't have the ingredients to the superb cake doesn't have ingredients fighting against each other but they're bringing out the flavors best flavors in each other and working together and it's only in that working together that you really get the superb cake so that's what we're really working on is how do we get this overlap between your teammates your clients who you're serving and your employers mm. and create that masterpiece of a cake <laughs> i think the analogy of a cake will transcend uh, any sort of national boundaries I think you're safe there. Generally, the the personalities that tend to go into law in more instances than not are very competitive by nature. And the environment is such where competition is rewarded, right? Winning is rewarded, being the best in your class or the rainmaker or whatever else it might be is rewarded. And I'm not suggesting that we change that, but how do you, in those instances, make sure that people continue to have their competitive drive, maybe more than anything else, but also make sure you're not stepping on top of each other to make sure that everyone else is moving along? Because I, I imagine that's a different and a difficult mindset shift for many. Yeah, yes, it, it, it could be if we were trying to make people stop thinking about winning, mm-hmm. which we're not. Winning definitely is is a part. It's about a win-win, if I put right. it that way. It's about making the whole win as opposed to me winning at the expense of someone else. So definitely not distancing ourselves from, from the idea of winning. It's just how we get after that win. And I think that's where really, if we look historically, as you said, we as lawyers, we work in highly competitive environments, much like in pro athletes, highly competitive, lots of really high pressure and almost zero margin for error. One of the main differences between the legal sector and, and being a professional athlete is are the structures that you have around you to help you be successful. And those are woefully poor in the legal sector. We focus heavily on, going back to my cake analogy, putting all our focus on the flour. Yeah. <laughs> And forgetting about the butter or whatever you use and the eggs and the sugar. So we're just focusing on the technical skills and the technical knowledge 
I'm forgetting really about the when greatness shines, greatness comes from the inside, from each individual. So yes, you've got the common skills, the common knowledge of law. And really clients expect that as standard. It's not that you get any bonus points for knowing the law, right? Your clients expect that. And technical knowledge and technical skills expected as standard. That level of excellence is expected as standard. Once you've got your job and you're in the legal sector, you have to ask yourself, I've got myself in the room. How am I now going to shine in the room? Yeah. And our minds, you know, our natural minds, because we've been brought up in a highly competitive environment where they're like, I need to be all my peer group. I need to be the best here. You can be the best. You can be the best of who you are. But we need to recognize that we're not all the same. And if you want to be the best, help bring out the best in the people around you. Yeah, and I'm so glad you took us to you called a professional athlete. I was thinking about elite athletes, but you know, the, ultimately the same principle because one of the most important part there is the focus on training. And it's not just the training on your core skill, right? So if you are a triathlete or if you are a swimmer or a cyclist, yes, of course, you are spending a lot of your time getting the, the muscle memory of making sure that you can get each stroke, your cadence and everything else. But you're also spending a lot of time ensuring that mentally you're prepared, that actually the whole is prepared. So you are yeah. working on body weight stuff you're working on weighted exercise and all sorts of other things that that may be important but may not be crucial but those are the things that give you the edge how do you think about training in the legal sense and because there is a certainly i feel there's a lack of the type of training that sometimes needed to get people to level up and step up to the next stage of their career because it's focused on content it's focused on just the very much hey this is how you become a better lawyer by making sure that you're brushed up on the next thing in law right the next case law that's going yeah. on or whatever else it might be how do you think about the wider training aspect of things yeah i, I think that's exactly where the gap a gap is in the market and this is what I've, I've been focusing on with the current project and it's looking at training lawyers in that holistic way the same way the the pro athletes the elite athletes yeah. train in that holistic way looking at what they know about themselves, the effect that they have on the teams around them. It's interesting that you mentioned strength and conditioning, but it's looking at the equivalent of strength and conditioning for an athlete. What does what is that for a knowledge worker, for a lawyer? And then, and you also mentioned context, and I think that's a really critical one. Actually, today I'm on a bit of a buzz because I had a call with one of the alumni from from the pilot program I ran last year, and without asking without prompting the feedback he offered his feedback straight off the bat and just knocked on the head all the things that i was trying to achieve when i designed this program so he was talking about how he's now networking with some of the other alumni and they're helping each other behind the scenes in an un informal way learning from each other he was talking about having a greater awareness of the things that trigger him to be in his best self and the things mm. that trigger him to be in kind of the shadow version of himself where you're not producing your best work maybe it's because of pressure maybe someone's said something or they behaved in a certain way and just recognizing that a little bit earlier on means you can spin spin the kind of the shadow self or the shadow version of yourself back into best self so he was talking about all the benefits that he was already experiencing he was saying to me it's also the other thing that i learned was that i want to fit into the culture in the workplace but i also recognize now that the things that i do uniquely my way 
is part of that journey of letting of letting myself bring out the best in me is having the courage to be myself even if the culture is slightly new, nuanced I was like exactly because the real powerhouse to your greatness is you it's not you trying to be someone else and so when he was saying all these things I was just like you know I could they couldn't have gone any better for me really and when you're designing a, a new product of course you don't know whether it's going to land the way you want it yeah. and and have the effects that you want want it to have until you hear it from the horse's mouth really and today was one of those days and he went the whole hog every single step of the journey he was like yes yeah so uh, really, I think that's amazing. Holistic approach, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. And I think it's important to have that more than just validation to see what you worked on and put into practice and then come back whatever time period later to see it's actually having an impact. That's, that's right. important. And it does give validation that actually you are solving a, a need, a problem in a particular way to start moving towards something that we touched on at the beginning you can take ownership of who you are as an individual of course and you can make changes for yourselves in a law firm and pretty much every business right you do have those three different layers as you put it the lawyer the employer and the client a lot of the lawyers as they move into later stages of their career they change from and I'm stealing some of your words if you don't mind they move from being a technician to a leader first let's start there how do you define a technician versus a leader to what kind of roles fit into those two buckets yeah so I guess the technician is you've just qualified you're an associate and you are doing you're doing a lot of the doing work you're the guy doing the drafting you're the girl doing the proofreading the researching you're putting the your document packs together and you're starting to get involved in it depends on the law the size of your law firm as to how quickly you get access to your clients but you're also putting the advice advisory packs together or maybe you're presenting presenting in training sessions but you it's the person actually doing the doing right and then from there generally the under the current construct of organizations the corporate world you go from being the technician into kind of a management role where you Mm -hmm. might be your title might be managing associate or senior counsel if you're in an in-house role and there you're responsible for uh, other people so there's the first very very big transition in that you remember what in the previous section I was talking about you got in the room but getting in the room because of your qualifications is not what's gonna isn't what helps you shine in the room it's only how you interact with other people that's one of the pieces so similarly what got you into the management room isn't what's going to help you shine in the management room like you got into the management clearly you you performed really well um, as a technician but being a great technician is not what you're looking for in a management in in the role of a manager and that first of all decoding and demystifying what that is setting it out very clearly now what the expectations are and being brave enough to say I know my comfort zone is to do all the technical work because we all like retreating into that space but having the courage to step out and say actually as a manager this is uh, the expectations are different so what do I have to do in this role now to shine out as a manager what does a great manager look like what are the habits uh, what are the behaviors that I need to develop what are the skills that I need to yeah. acquire and what is it about my particular style of management what style what works for me to be that great manager that brings out the greatness in others and I, I think there's probably as you were saying that I jotted down two ideas one is from an individual level, there needs to be acceptance 
that I'm in a different type of role because it's yeah. not always as clear cut no. as it may seem on paper. And from the business side of things, whether you're in-house or in a firm, there also needs to be identification of that. Hey, we are moving you to this role, whether you're managing associate, senior associate, and even partner. And part of that role is you are now a leader because again, there's also a big difference between you being a manager and you being a leader. Exactly. There's very different skill sets required yeah. and there needs to be a better focus on this is how we help you to move into this position so you can now get your teams up and running and That's setting right. the expectations with your clients, right? Because how you were, as you said, as a technician and the kind of work you were doing with your clients, you probably won't be doing the same things and as much of the same thing now. So yeah. when do you get your teams involved? And yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but there certainly needs to be a focus on the training. There, there is a level of conscious awareness that has to come from everyone to say this is very different to what yeah. this person was doing before and also accepting that that being a manager may not be for everyone and yeah. there can't be a linear process that in order for you to become a partner you must have the capability of leading a team yeah that may be true but you may not be a good manager of teams and again drawing that distinction it's so interesting that you say it. I'm, I'm very happy to talk on this subject, but it's I think it's going to be quite a challenge for many of your audience to start thinking about that the way we structure our organizations yep. at the moment from you're a technician, then you go into a manager with a completely different yeah. um, skill set. Your responsibilities are very different. Now it becomes a very human per your, where you're going to shine is how you work with other people and how you elevate other people and how you deliver on projects. Yeah. This is the world of, of kind of the management role. And then the next transition up in the current construct is then you move into a leadership role. Again, the rules completely change, yep. completely change. And the thing is, there's no space right now to elevate people based on what their strengths are. So if you're a, if you, there's no, nothing to say that, hey, you know what, as a technician, you are such an exceptional yeah. tech technical lawyer. Where's the progression plan for those lawyers? Lawyers who just want to get deep, stuck into the law and work out new solutions for their clients, but perhaps don't really, aren't really that bothered about having a team of 10 or 15 or five or whatever lawyers were reporting into them and doing their annual performance reviews and you know having the HR conversations and working out how do you get team cohesion and all the things that make a great manager, right, are not the things that generally make a great technical lawyer. So it's really interesting that you put that on the table, because I, I hope that not in the too distant future, but you know, I, I'm not filled with a lot of hope, to be quite yeah. honest with you. But I mean, look, th these are hard conversations. And yeah. I, I'll be the first one to say, I don't profess to have any of these answers, but I think we need to have conversations around these. And I actually have a lot of hope that conversations are happening today and yeah. they need to happen today if we're going to change anything in the next 5, 10, 15 years because some of these things will take that long. And again, I'm going to draw a, a parallel to athletes. If you think about your favorite sports team, it doesn't matter what the sports is. Just because you are amazing on the field does not make you a great coach, does not make you a great general manager for that team. Yeah. And, and and a point that you said is there needs to be a different path. It can't just be your career as a as a technician is over 
the only other thing that you can do is this. And actually, one of the great things that gives me hope is now there's so many other opportunities. Yeah. If you, A, you can continue being a technician for longer and then you become, I don't know, something else. And you can become a leader. I think many people yeah. can be leaders and that may be a more natural progression for individuals versus a manager because not everyone wants to deal with all the headaches that comes with being a manager. You have to yeah. do all these performance reviews. You have to do all of these <laughs> other things that people don't think about. They think about all the glorified things that you yeah. that you get with it. So that's important. And I, I think those, those conversations should be happening today. And that transcends law. It transcends everything. Yes, and it does, yeah. many, and this is where I, I, I think my, my thesis is the in-house teams have a better handle on this yeah. because the corporations have spent decades, frankly, spending time and effort on this. Yeah. And they, they are a little bit ahead, not to yeah, say things are perfect there. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's my sense as well. When I'm having these conversations in the marketplace, it's the in-house general counsel who seem to be a little more aware mm. of these real pressures. And also it goes, there's two analogies I want to go back to. First of all, the cake analogy about bringing the best out <laughs> of people and the people around you that doesn't really fit into the technician, manager, leader construct. But then if we look at a real life example, if we look at Sir Alex Ferguson, mm -hmm. the, yeah, he was never a great footballer when he was yeah. playing football. Right? He was a professional footballer, but he wasn't David Beckham or Ryan Giggs or Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi. He was an average football player. But right. as a manager and a leader, washed the floor with everyone in that era. Absolutely yeah. washed the floor with, with the other managers at the time. And he was up against a lot of very high quality, high performing managers in that era. So yeah. Pep Guardiola doesn't really serve this analogy. <laughs> Sometimes you find these freaks who are just good at everything. <laughs> yeah. But we perhaps shouldn't expect you know everyone to be a Pep and we need to create the path ways for yeah i was i'm a great technician but i have no interest in being a man that's not really where my strengths lie the where i'm going to serve my clients and and the wider population or whoever i'm serving best is to bring this to the table mm. now how you law firm are you going to recognize my excellence in this area do i now have to become something else for you to recognize yeah. and promote me because i think that's a lose-lose um, some right there you're going to lose the thing that's really valuable to you yeah and the only reason you're going to lose that is because you're forcing me into this shape that I have no interest in being but I pretend because that's my only progression and and I think it's important as at an individual level to recognize what you want to do as well and right. to make that the onus has to be on you as an individual to make others aware and yeah. I have someone in my team who has made it abundantly clear for years that he has no interest in being a manager. He's tried it before. It wasn't his thing. And I'm comfortable with it. He's comfortable with it. And that's fine. And we make sure that we support and develop him in the ways he wants to progress that's and right. what's next for him. And we just know that the path that's next for him isn't to be a manager because that's not going to do anyone. I, I, it's not going to do his team justice. It's not going to do him justice no. or me or, or the business. So how do we manage that? And I honestly don't know how many times those conversations are happening. And part of it is an awareness thing. A lot of the lawyers, and I'm being very particular here for lawyers, the only thing they've ever done is to practice law. Yeah. And if you look at the past not being a great indicator of the future, then how do you see unknown? There needs to be some piece of education from the HR teams or the people teams or someone to say, 
maybe think about this. Maybe think yeah. because I think as a junior associate, you go in and from law school, from your peers, from your friends, you just automatically assume that there is one path and that's it. Yeah. Or maybe it is two. the one that we're most often sold, isn't it? That this is, if you want to be a lawyer, this is the path ahead and this is what you do. Yeah. But actually, and it's great, like Fringe Legal and the podcast that you do, that you open up, you're opening up the doors and opening up the eyes of lawyers to actually there are loads of paths for you ahead. It, there are rich pickings now. The practice of law itself has been democratized quite heavily over the last decade. Yeah. Uh, there are multiple paths, but there's not really that many people. It's not that widely publicized, put it that way. Correct. To really yeah. make people aware. At, at, whilst they're whilst the still at the earlier stages of develop, career development, really thinking about it. Because we know once you're five, six, seven years post-qualification you're almost stuck in that space it's i mean you need to have a great motivation to move you yeah. out of that spot then yeah and you're, you're stuck into uh, you know i'm earning a pretty decent salary how am i going to leave that behind you get in your comfort zone and you don't want to leave and you know what you're doing yeah for sure yeah so you you hinted at a pilot that you ran last year and i know a big focus of that has been how to make sure that things are approached in the right way and these are just my words would you mind just talking a little bit around how you structure these pilots how you work on not just the training but making sure that it's not just something that people are dreading oh i have to go to another training session right that it becomes part of their their day-to-day -day. it's more immersive in in, in, in a sense uh, do you yeah. want to talk a little bit more about that yeah when i was designing and developing the pilot like my end goal or the vision for me is i want to do remove all the obstacles for the lawyers coming onto the program and like literally bring the horse to the feeding trough and all they have to do is open their mouth and the food will be there for them. So nice. I wanted to remove all the barriers and blocks and obstacles between wanting to develop a behavior or a skill and actually being able to do it and deploy it whilst at work. Because we've all been to these training sessions and workshops and they're great fun and you really enjoy them whilst you're there. When you go back to the office within a week, you're deep into your normal life, your old habits kick in and everything that you so enjoyed and validated when you're at this has gone. It's just completely gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how do we tackle that? And it's, it's, I've taken a little and often approach. So the lawyers basically commit 10 minutes a day to the program. Now in the actual pilot, I had left it to the lawyers to manage their own time. One of the learnings and what will be going into the future programs is that the content is broken down into 10 minute a day chunks, mm -hmm. which is pretty easy to find. Even if you're really busy, it's just, even if it's that dead spot after lunch, which generally nobody wants to have that dead spot after lunch when yeah. your, your body's trying to digest food and that's all it's doing. But even if at that stage, because it's a quite a reflective, reflective process, the whole of that, this, the e-training element of, of the program, even that is fine because the watching it, the information's going to go in you and then you can start the reflective exercise mm. it's not intense in that sense and then look one of the one of the the common feedback was this is great because it's contextually relevant you're telling us stuff that we may have bits of it we'll have picked up in other things but you've made it relevant for lawyers like we don't have to do any thinking about how am i going to apply this in my real life if you removed all of those barriers and so we now know actually yeah in my world in my life this is how it reflects and 
we, I've, I've chosen it from a self-awareness perspective and to raise self-awareness. I've chosen to to use a, a methodology that actually looks at below the surface behaviors, the things that are really driving your motivations. I think it's just the combination of of the different elements. So the frequency, the content, the delivery style, the different delivery styles actually between coaching and the videos and then the reflective exercises. And then it builds out. So it's not, it's also not a one and done 12 weeks, you're in and out, right? Because behaviors, we know behaviors don't develop in, in a half day or even in a couple of weeks, just to even start the development of a habit, you're talking about a 21 day commitment. And actually for a ha habit to form, we're talking about 66 days, between 63 and 66 days, if, right. if, if we look at what the research is saying. So then you think, actually, if I want to, and we're not talking about light subjects either, having to confront yourself and recognize who you are and how to bring the best of yourself out and the triggers and how that affects other people and then how you turn up in different situations to make each impression impactful, whether you're in a transaction, whether you're giving advice to a group of 10 people or to, to a C-suite or debriefing even your internal teams, it's you're confronting yourself and the effect that you have in the room at the same time. So we've broken all of that down into contextually relevant content and, and created a space where, where the students in quite small groups can create that kind of safe environment to learn mm -hmm. from each other. And th that really, that's such a powerful thing because not only networking can be difficult, right? Going to networking and you're like, oh God, oh, you know, what am I going to say to these Especially people? Especially in the virtual world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. This, uh, what we've been able to do is with these small groups is networking happens naturally hmm. and you're, it's happening at a level, at a meaningful level because you're talking to each other about your own development and their development, what's worked for them. And it's continuous. It's little yeah. and often the whole program lasts for, because we go from being a technician all the way to ready for leadership. Mm. We're talking about a five-year timeline, small drip impacts. And with, in, between this, in between the little and often process, we drop in full immersed accelerated learning experiences. So full immersion game training. So there it's not reflect, it's not so much on take my time and reflect. It's now time to put into action yeah. in a safe and safe to fail environment. Yeah. That's mimicking like a flight deck for pilots. This yeah. is like a flight deck for lawyers where they in a game environment, in a team environment with individual pressures as well as team pressures and multiple teams within a team. So if you think about in the real world, there's your yeah. team as a private practice team. There's your team as part of the overall project where you're working with your client. And then there's your own agenda, right? So there's yeah. these three agendas going on at any given time. There are these three agendas going on. So th that's the kind of stuff that you'd be managing in, in, in this game environment. Yeah. And with that, that allow we, because it's a simulation, we replicate that high pressure environment that you're normally working in. And within that, you we drop in the ability to see when you are in this exact situation, mm. this is how do you actually respond? Because there's what you think you respond, your after the event perception of how you responded, and there's the actual thing that you did. So with it, within a game environment, it allows us to look at actually what's happening inside yourself. How do we, and we create that multi-sensory experience so yeah. that you can take your performance to a different level. And so you you think about it, you've got this off-season, little and often training to yeah. help embed the baseline behaviors and the baseline awarenesses and start tooling up, if you like. Yep. And then you go, let's train, let's, we've got the simulator, we're going to go in and train now and see how much of this can you actually put into practice and yeah. practice that. 
and get that muscle memory going in a way that works for the individual. So yeah. that's the important thing is that we don't have a model of the perfect lawyer because the perfect lawyer is a combination of technical knowledge and skills, which your law firms and your um, existing providers are, are great at providing, yeah. but it's the other elements, right? So bringing your individual self and then the soft powers and how it all works together for you. And so yep. that's what, what you get to practice in the game, the immersive training. And there's so much in there. For one, just the words that you're using, that makes such a big difference because even small things like simulation versus role play makes a massive difference, mm -hmm. not just in how you speak to just knowledge workers, but also the impact that you'll see from there. Because when you're doing role plays, it's hypothetical situations that are often a bit exaggerated so you can demonstrate and learn certain aspects. A simulation is your example of a flight deck is, is apt because it's this is likely what it will be like. And then it's having the environment to provide really quick and frequent feedback and I was reading something which talked around immersion training and that talked around rapid acquisition of skills and one of the most important things that's been proven by research is how quickly you can get feedback from when you've done the action the yeah. longer that gap the longer it will take for you to yeah. correct that behavior or to refine that skill and in this way you're at least shortening that gap as much as possible yeah. you do one small micro action today you get feedback immediately you adjust and again like i, I will keep drawing analogies to sports because that's exactly how it works someone yeah. watches you someone and that's the great advantage of having a coach in some instances they can tell you things that you need to adjust that you are just not even conscious of. And that's what you want. And that seems like what you're getting here. And that's right. the last point was just, you talked about impact. And that's the most important thing as you move from technician to leader, the rate of learning, the pace of learning will certainly shrink. And you will notice that you probably aren't learning as much as you were when, when you were a trainee, uh, whenever yeah. that was for you. Now it's all around how can I learn the things, the right things that will allow me to deliver 10x the impact with maybe yeah. a lot less time. And that's a difficult thing to comprehend and yeah. also put into practice. So just as we start wrapping up, help me understand who is this for? Who's your core audience as part of either the pilot or any future programs? It's a great question. So this program is for law firms and legal departments, anyone who employs lawyers really between the kind of qualification level of newly qualified up to you know, getting ready for leadership. So it could be six, eight years qualified. And it's for, it's for a particular type of law firm or legal department. And it's those who are, they know that they're ready to take it to the next level and understand that to move from performance maximization to performance optimization the power live, lies in their people and unlocking their individual greatness, bringing it together so that the benefit of that is not just for the employer, the law firm or the legal department, but also for their clients, their internal clients, their external clients. And I think this is the point of distinction that it's also great for the lawyers themselves. And that's really where the magic of this program lies is that we start with the individual in mind and then let the amazing stuff happen from there. Fantastic. And if people want to connect with you, should I point them to your LinkedIn? Is that the best place? Yeah, point them to my LinkedIn or to the website, which is uh, 
www.fuelandmove.com. Wonderful, Harold. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for all you're doing. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you can accomplish in the coming few months and years. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.